Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for ad-free, fan-driven Utah jazz basketball talk in your podcatcher or right here on YouTube. So happy to have you. I'm Adam Bushman, your host, and we're excited to Jabber Jazz with you today. Today we're talking surprises so far for the season. It's been a wild start. What exactly are we surprised about? with the start that the Utah Jazz have had in this season. We're going to break that down and also getting into some interesting stats from all of the key rotation members. Something that explains the performance this season and helps put in context some of what we can see for the rest of the season or what makes them valuable trade partners, etc. We're going to get into it all right here. If you like what we're doing, if you are interested in supporting us and and helping this podcast and these videos continue, please consider subscribing to the podcast here in your podcatcher or even potentially on our YouTube channel. Follow us on social media at Jabber underscore Jazz on Twitter and uh, consider leaving a review or comment in the YouTube or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, if you're really interested, we'd appreciate you checking out our store website uh, website in the description below and you can check out our our merchandise and so you can rep some jabber jazz and help keep the lights on here in the podcast well without further ado let's jabber jazz Okay, so surprises thus far for the season, okay? The Jazz have come out with, you know, an astounding uh, record to start the season. It's pretty incredible. Five and two to begin the season. I was one who thought that with the difficult schedule to start the year and how new everybody was, etc., that the Jazz would have a lot more sluggish less than exciting start to the season but the Jazz have really demonstrated that they are surprising people that they're a lot better than than people think and so I want to dig into exactly what we're surprised about with the start of this season and maybe help kind of narrative frame this start to the season okay so I think the first thing I'm surprised about is that the Jazz are having or demonstrating this much much chemistry with the team it's incredible. The returning faces from last year's rotation are Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and Rudy Gay. Okay, we, we talked about how Rudy Gay was not only di- disappointed with his role last season, he was also one of the people that, to the start this season, kind of in those media interviews, uh, he did not look engaged, did not look motivated, then you think about Conley, and Conley really disappeared in last year's playoffs. We didn't really know exactly how he was going to transition into this next year of his career. Jordan Clarkson is JC, so you know we're going to get what we're going to get from him. Uh, there wasn't too much concern about that. But even with just those three returning from last year, all a ton of new faces in the starting lineup and off the bench. And then you think about the coaching staff. Okay, we brought in Will Hardy. He brought in a lot of his own guys, but kept Alex Jensen and Lamar Skeeter from last year with such amazing and incredible turnover for the players and the coaching staff. I did not expect to see near this amount of cohesion. Okay, I mean, you look around the league at, uh, at teams that have you know, demonstrated really, really incredible continuity from last year, and even some of them are really struggling. Okay, so 
it wasn't just a given that with all that turnover, the Jazz were just going to come out ready to go right out right out of the gate. Um, but we've seen we've seen some real chemistry, some real cohesion. Okay, you don't you don't get to be top five in assists uh, for the Jazz without being in sync, have some chemistry, and and you know being right on the same page with everybody. Okay, you don't get to be thirteenth in defense per cleaning the glass, right? This was a team we expected without any rim protection. Jared Vanderbilt being really the only guy on the perimeter, being a disruptor and being able to take guys one on one. You know there there were a lot of people considering the Jazz to be a bottom ten defense. But we've demonstrated much more propensity uh, to defend, to disrupt, uh, and that's put the Jazz at 13th in defense per cleaning the glass. You don't get to be that good on defense with this little defensive talent without having chemistry, cohesion, uh, in, intense communication between the coaching staff and all the players that are that are on the court. And finally, you don't get to be this the number six team in clutch net rating, right? Clutch is the final five minutes of a game that's within five or fewer points, okay? If you look at all the teams who have played at least 10 minutes in the clutch, the Jazz rank number six in net rating, okay? They're a plus 20-something, right? Uh, they, they've just been fantastic in the clutch. And you don't get to be that for that amount of time, we're, we're the number one team in clutch minutes. I uh, didn't mention that. You don't get to be that good in the clutch with, without having enough chemistry and cohesion with the group. So I'm really, really surprised that we've seen this, this amount of chemistry, this amount of trust in each other from the coaching staff as well. And then just being all on the same page as well. Okay, We're number six in smart shot frequency advantage which means if you look at how often the jazz are shooting at the rim and from three and you compare it to what the opponent shoots from the rim in three okay we're number six in that difference in that advantage okay we want to be taking more of those smart efficient shots than the other team and we are and we're doing it at the sixth best rate in the nba okay you don't get to do that without being on the same page. I was really curious to see if Will Hardy was going to prioritize shot distribution uh, on offense and if he was going to prioritize disrupting shot distribution on defense or if, you, if we'd have the personnel to do it. And we've seen that the Jazz have been able to create the sixth biggest advantage. That doesn't happen without all being on the same page, right? And with just a training camp, right, just a four-game preseason and then right into the regular season the Jazz have demonstrated that they are really on the same page that that they've been able to get really really quick buy-in from a lot of guys from a lot of systems that they were on in previous years with a new coaching staff it's it's really really incredible they've been able to discover just some hierarchy to to the squad Okay, some roles, right? We've seen Mike Conley take some clutch late game uh, ownership, setting people up. In the Memphis game, we saw that was part of uh, Jordan Clarkson's role without Mike Conley on the bench. Uh, with Mike Conley on the bench, excuse me. But we've seen Larry Markin, and he's kind of the featured 
uh, offensive uh, creator or or, sh- or shot generator uh, in the first uh, several quarters. Okay, and he's been stellar at that. Okay, we've seen Jared Vanderbilt kind of take on this role of being the the disruptor on defense, and he, along with Colin Sexton and Malik Beasley and Kelly Olynyk, are really generating extra opportunities and disrupting the other team's offense. Okay, so to see these roles and this offensive hierarchy shake out so early in the season with such incredible turnover. I, I think it's just a, a big surprise from what we would have expected of a team with this much turnover and, and, and with a brand new coaching staff. It's pretty, pretty incredible. The other thing that is a surprise this far, thus far is the shooting performance. Okay, uh, We knew we had some shooting talent, at least... I, I knew that we had some shooting talent, okay? Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, even Laurie Markinen. But what we've seen thus far is a little out of the ordinary in that the Jazz have had some really good luck shooting the ball. And the opposing teams on the nights when we've been shooting well have generally been shooting average or, or really poorly, Okay. We've had just one instance, one game, where we have shot fewer three-point attempts than our opponent. Okay. That doesn't happen very often. But we've seen in uh, an interesting scenario where the Jazz are the number four team in three-point attempt rate. Okay. Advantage over the opponent. Okay. We're shooting a lot more threes than the opponent on, on uh, a given night. So that's that's a really interesting to start off. Okay, if we're taking more threes than the opponent, most likely we are going to uh, be able to offset variance on a night-to-night basis, right? Uh, you shoot ten threes, just ten in a game, right? Uh, you're not really giving yourself a real good chance to uh, to limit the amount that variance can have on on your makes, right? You only shoot ten. I mean, you could go 0 for 10 or, or 8 for 10, right? It, it could be really high variance in how many of them you're, you're going to make. Similarly, the Jazz have only had two games where we have had a worse three-point percentage than the opponent. Okay, That game uh, last night against Memphis, or two nights ago against Memphis, we, we, were, just, we were 1, 2% below the rate that Memphis was at, but we had more attempts than Memphis did. And similarly, if we look at the Denver game, the Jazz shot far worse than Denver from the three-point line, which uh, contributed to the blowout. So I'm really surprised that, in general, the Jazz have been able to have good shooting luck and, and corresponding bad or average shooting performances from the opponent, and just one or two instances where we've shot worse than the opponent and two nights ago, we, we won despite shooting just slightly below Memphis. Uh, but that was really a contribution from our attempts. Our attempts allowed us to win that game. Uh, we shot far more threes than Memphis did. Um, and there was only one game where we took fewer than the opponent, and that was the, the Houston game. You know, with that kind of shooting luck, you know, you're going to win a lot of games. Um, and I anticipate that as we, you know, get into this more difficult stretch, that that could start level out. But even Larry Markin is just shooting 27% on his threes, okay? And Malik Beasley is under his number from last year, okay? So there are reasons why, you know, the Jazz 
aren't aren't seeing if you look on an average you know standpoint the jazz aren't seeing just wild you know good shooting luck i think we're middle of the pack in our team three point percentage and we're not sh seeing abnormal um efficiency on our opponents right our opponents aren't just shooting in the toilet again we're you know right in the middle of the pack in opponent three point percentage the interesting thing is when you look at it game by game game by game there's only been one game the denver game where the jazz just couldn't make anything but the other team was was really shooting from three and that's going to happen a lot more going forward so with this kind of luck, if, if we were to regularize or adjust the record based upon that shooting luck, we would be looking at a much more realistic kind of like three and four record uh, for the Jazz this year versus the seven and two or five and two we find ourselves at. So those are some surprises that I have that that have kind of come to me to start this year. And it kind of does demonstrate to me that, hey, you know what, we're going to we're going to kind of consistently overperform uh, the longer that we have these kind of uh, these kind of high level players on the team. Okay, I think it's honestly we could flip the script pretty easily if you know we trade some of these veterans. You know, if you're if you're a fan of of the tanking, if you're interested in the front office creating a roster that uh, is is going to try hard, is going to try to win every game, but is going to come up short because of because of the talent. I, I think that that you can move, you know, two to four players from this current Jazz team and really achieve that, okay? Because we've been in the clutch so often, okay? We've been just good enough to be in late games and then our chemistry, our uh, roles uh, and our performance has been such that we've been able to scrape together quite a few clutch wins. And if you take away Mike, JC, Kelly Olynyk, etc., suddenly those clutch wins start going away. And there's a handful of nights where, hey, you know what? We're we're not quite in the clutch, right? We're not within five points in the final five minutes. Maybe we're within eight points or ten points, and we can't quite uh, make it. And so we end up, you know, losing you know, under 10 points or something like that. So uh, I, I really think that if you if you move off some of these veterans, right, we're not going to be as good in the clutch. You know, we're, we're not going to move the ball quite as much. And, uh, you know, we're not going to have as much shooting talent. And so we've, we've you know, had some, some really good luck shooting that has helped contribute to the 7-2 record. We've had a lot more cohesion than... I anticipate to start this year, and I think the front office can orchestrate things to get us back on the tanking track, uh, should they choose. Uh, but I do believe that the performance or the the win loss record results thus far have been a lot better than they quote should be uh, if we adjust for shooting luck, um, and and if we just say that hey we're about to hit you know our, our really rough patch of the schedule where we're on the road most of the time. You know, three series of back-to-backs, uh, a lot of those things. So those are some of the surprises that I've seen thus far. Uh, ultimately, whichever way the Jazz tend to go, if they decide to kind of lean into tanking by moving some of these veterans, or if they say, hey, you know what, we're overperforming and we have all these draft picks, hey, let's really lean into this and see what we're missing to make this squad a contender again. 
Either way, I'm just really enjoying the brand of basketball the Jazz are playing, uh, the players that the Jazz are rolling out there. It's been a really, really, really fun start to the season. And every game, win or lose, I think that there are a lot of positives that we can pull from it. Even being at a 7-2 start, okay, with all of this success, okay, even if you're a fan of the tanking, it's raising the value of our veterans. I really think that, that there are arguments for you know, several teams around the league to want to trade for Mike Conley. The Los Angeles Lakers, they, they need a point guard, right? And they need someone to relieve, to relieve the ball handling from LeBron James and with Russell Westbrook out, uh, theoretically, in the trade. Uh, but then also bring that high-level shooting. Mike Conley can do that. Uh, furthermore, the, the Chicago Bulls, they're down Lonzo Ball. Zach Levine is cropping up injury, injuries, and it's a real sketchy situation over there for him. Yeah, you go through throughout the league and you can isolate uh, even the Washington Wizards. DeLon Wright just went down for six to eight weeks. right? He would slot in nicely in Washington, who is trying to win and has had some good early season success. JC has been a fantastic passer as well this year. Okay, we're going to get into some of these things in a second, but the idea is that these would be you know really, really good avenues. Um, and, and the... Ultimately, the, their value is just being raised, which is, which is fantastic. All right, let's transition away from the surprises of the season on a macro level for the entire team. And let's talk some interesting stats for the key rotation members and what that might mean for their market, their tradeability, uh, or even just to remain with the team and, and uh, really kind of carry uh, this Jazz season. So we're going to talk about all the key rotation members. All right, so we're not going to talk too much about Oshai Abaji yet. Uh, he has played some minutes. However, they have been few and far between, and uh, it's, it's just not enough for us to really kind of hone in and, and avoid some of that small, size, small sample size theater. And we're going to try to stay away from some of those inherently flawed stats. Oh, you know, this person is, is uh, uh, you know, a- averaging this, 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 you know, on, on this kind of volume. Uh, we're going to try to stay away from those things, uh, especially by, by t- just talking key rotation members. You know, guys who have been playing 100 more minutes thus far in, in, the, in the season. Okay, so let's start with Laurie Markkinen. Okay, uh, this guy has been uh, really, really outstanding. Last couple games hasn't quite shot the ball well, uh, but if you look at his true shooting attempts per game, he's at plus 9.8 this year. That means he's shooting nine and a half, 9.8 more true shooting attempts than league average. Okay, plus 9.8, and we're adjusting it to league average because the average for the league can go up or down uh, depending on the year. Last year, he was at plus 3.4, okay? So he's taking on a much larger load offensively, and he's, and he's creating shots a lot, a lot differently, okay? He's, uh, he's generating fewer catch-and-shoot uh, opportunities, okay? He's the focal point of the offense rather than being a complementary piece behind Darius Garland uh, and behind Evan Mobley. But 
despite that improved or increased offensive role uh, and kind of being the top person on the scouting report, uh, he's actually been able to maintain league average efficiency. Okay, so he's at minus 0.1% adjusted true shooting percentage. Okay, so he's right at league average. Last year, he was at plus 1.6. Laurie was at that plus 1.8% mark, so right at last year's number uh, two games ago, so right uh, prior to the Denver and Memphis games. So he's performing really, really exceptionally, and I just love seeing similar efficiency to what he did last year on increased volume and increased role. Heck yeah, that's what you want to see. Okay? And that's what we're hoping to see from other players that are on the Jazz uh, as we prospectively um, could be moving off of some veterans in the starting lineup. And this all with just shooting 27% on threes. Okay, Laurie has ha not had the three-point shot to start this year, like I said, shooting 27%. If you look at his previous 1,000 attempts to the season, okay, so that spans three is... Um, previous three seasons if you look at those shot about a thousand times and that was a resulting 37 percent of three-point shooter so he is a good three-point shooter it's just been a, a rough start to the year and i expect that to start coming around at some point um but uh it, it's possible with us getting on the road having a lot of back-to-backs facing a lot of good teams uh, it's possible that 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 number stays around 30 percent uh, until mid-December, and at that point, the Jazz start getting home, right? They have more practice time, more rest time. At that point, it starts turning around. So now let's talk Mike Conley. It really seems like he's much more active defensively. He's getting his hands on balls. He's much more in the face of defenders, right? That's, that's kind of how I felt watching him and, and kind of taking in, soaking in the season thus far. But when you actually look at the data, it's kind of interesting. If you look at his steals per 36 minutes, 1.6 this year, 1.7 last year. If you look at deflections per 36 minutes, 2.4 this year, 2.6 last year. It really feels like he's more active and, um, and getting his hands on balls and, and really kind of disrupting the opposing offense, uh, but if you look at some of these uh, indicators, it, it doesn't seem that way. What this kind of tells me is that in combination with his offense, right, uh, his ability to score the ball uh, and set up teammates, uh, if the eye test is telling us that, hey, he's much more active defensively, I think that's really going to contribute to increased value on the trade market for Mike Conley. One of the big concerns uh, and what was been had been reported is that teams really are hesitant to pull the trigger on a Mike Conley trade because they aren't really uh, very happy that he has a $14 million guarantee for next year. But if he's performing this well, hopefully that means an increased market for Mike Conley. I'm not in the position, despite you know being a pro, you know the front office uh, orchestrating moves to make the Jazz. Uh, a worse team that's more conducive to tanking. Uh, even though I'm on, on that side of things, uh, I would not be attaching assets to move off of Mike Conley or Rudy Gay or Jordan Clarkson. If they don't have value, I'm keeping them. Okay, That's just the fact of the matter. And, but it, it does appear that the way Mike is starting this season, 
that uh, that you could you could extract some marginal value in a trade from Mike Conley that wouldn't require attaching an asset, and that would be a huge win for the Jazz. So yeah, let's talk about the other the other guard in the starting lineup, Jordan Clarkson. He has been passing the ball incredibly to start this season. It's it's really really incredible. He's got his eyes out. He knows where where his guys are going to be, and he's looking to play make. Sure, he's always going to be a bit trigger happy. That's just Jordan Clarkson. He's always going to have that irrational confidence. But when he's passing the ball like he is uh, this year, it opens up much more opportunities for himself to score, and it's putting others in real good positions because the defense is really honing in on what JC is doing because he's got the wiggle, right? He's got the unpredictability in his game. And if you look at the numbers, uh, specifically potential assists per 36 minutes, and I use potential assists when looking at this because they're in a small sample like this, there's going to be some wild variance, right? You're going to have a lot of times where you're passing the ball and just, you know, one night of bad shooting luck, right, means, hey, zero assists, and that's going to throw off some of the averages. Instead, I kind of like to look at the potential assists because you're going to see a tighter range uh, of you know the best and worst and average uh, than what you're going to see with just actual assists. So if you look at potential assists, and these are passes to a teammate that resulted in a shot attempt, okay, uh, and doesn't consider whether that shot attempt was made or missed. So the potential assists per 36 minutes for Jordan Clarkson are at 9.9. What was he at last year? 5.7. Okay, so he's nearly doubled the potential assist volume that he was putting up last year. And because we adjusted that to his playing time per 36 minutes, okay, the fact that he's in the starting lineup now, that doesn't explain that increase. So pretty, pretty cool from JC. You know, that is a component of his game where, hey, if he's a bit more efficient than he was last year and he's passing the ball and he's active defensively more than he was last year, that's that's a really winning combination. And, and you're much more... Um, pleased to, to have JC on the floor and to be doing what he's doing versus when uh, he's just focused on himself, he's taking bad shots, not passing the ball, and doesn't contribute anything defensively. It, it's a big difference. All right, so let's talk Kelly Olenek. So Kelly Olenek is putting together quite a start to the season, and it's honestly pretty similar to the best stretch of his career, the 24 games he was with the Houston Rockets. That was his best stretch ever. If we look at the, the stat lines, uh, in Houston, he was at 22 points a game, nearly 10 rebounds, nearly 5 assists on plus 10% true shooting per 75, minute, per 75 possessions. And if you look here in Utah, nearly 18 points, nearly 5 rebounds, nearly 5 assists, plus 14% adjusted true shooting percentage, all that per 75 possessions as well. Doesn't quite have the uh, the field goal attempts, right? So he's not quite getting to that points, those points. And playing with Jared Vanderbilt and uh, Larry Markinen, you're not going to be snagging near as many rebounds. But other than that, he's putting together a very similar stat line to what he did in Houston, his best stretch of his career. Uh, it's really, really incredible. Really nice for Kelly Olynyk to be seeing that. And it kind of it, it also ra raises the retrade value for a guy like Kelly and you know I think that uh, 
that you know, he could be a really, really good candidate for the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Uh, Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center. He doesn't want to be getting those bumps and bruises throughout the regular season, but the Lakers are at their best when he's at the five. Can you slot Kelly Olynyk in there, right? He's still spacing the floor, shooting an insane and unsustainable amount on his three-pointers uh, this year, but who also has great passing, uh, who will accept and outperform his defensive assignment um, and rebound the ball. You put that again, uh, next to Anthony Davis, um, and you can stagger Anthony uh, at the four and five. Uh, I think that could be a really, real winning combination for the Lakers uh, if they decide to pony up with those picks in 27 and 29. Um, I think that could be a, a real good shot for them. And furthermore, he's only got a guaranteed uh, contract of three million next year, so that doesn't—that's not going to impact severely, you know, what they could do next offseason if they so choose. Okay, Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley, uh, he hit that game uh, game ceiling uh, three against Memphis, but in general, he's been below his career marks. Some of his career marks uh, for three point efficiency this year, which is interesting. Uh, if you look at his catch and shoot threes, he's at just under 36% this year. He was over 38% last year and over 40% the previous year. Okay. Also, if you look at his volume, he's not getting near as many catch-and-shoot threes as he did in previous years. 45% of his shots are catch-and-shoot threes this year. Uh, last year, 60% of his shots were catch-and-shoot threes. So it was really interesting. Um, I, I think he's feeling a bit out of sync. He's trying to figure out his role. I think he'd much prefer to be starting. Honestly, if the Jazz can work out a package of... Uh, Mike Conley uh, and Jordan Clarkson, or Mike Conley and Kelly Olynyk, uh, etc. Uh, if they could work out some sort of package like that, you know, it, we might be able to see Malik beginning to start, and hopefully that could, uh, you know, bring his uh, his mojo back a little bit, getting some consistency, and um, and we can see some improved shooting from three. But uh, you know, he hasn't been bad. I'm not saying that he's just been a good amount below his some of his career numbers and I think he's a lot better shooter than he's shown thus far and some of that's to do with role and some of that's to do with some expectations and we'll I'll, I'll be interested to see how that kind of shakes out uh, for the rest of, this, uh, of the year he also with a, a a team option on the season next year he's a good candidate for a contending team uh, who's dealing with some tax issues to land in a trade all right Jared Vanderbilt uh, this guy, uh, I love Jared. He is such an energizer bunny. Uh, he is just going nuts out there, uh, attacking the glass, uh, generating deflections, steals, taking the other way. Um, he's he's just a breath of fresh air from the types of players the Jazz have had uh, over the past few years. Um, uh, Andy Larson and Eric Walden and Salt Lake Tribune put it best when they talked about how the Jazz have kind of always uh, or in the past iteration of the team that we had a lot of finesse players right we had a lot of high efficiency players but we didn't have a lot of players who were um, I guess tactical players or you know energizer aggressive players right who uh, who don't rely on efficiency but can generate volume and that's what Jared is and it's a breath of fresh air but he's got to get his fouls under control. Holy cow. If you look at the amount of fouls he's, he generates in 75 possessions, 
He's at 6.4 fouls per 75 possessions. Why 75 possessions? Well, in general, right, uh, we look at games in 100 possessions. Um, and, and on average, games can be fewer or more possessions, but they've been standardized to 100 possessions uh, in order to um, account for pace of play, minutes, etc. And in doing so, uh, a starter generally plays 75 of 100 minutes in such a framework. And so by doing so, we're approximating a starter's level of playing time but or playing possessions um, and, and being able to rate and minute controlled stat, essentially. So at 6.4 fouls per 75 possessions, that's fouling out, right? And we've seen that. Okay, he's fouled out of two games this year. Um, there have been three games where his playing time has been seriously, seriously compromised uh, because of those fouls. And he's kind of one of the one of the guys who I don't know if you could really tell him, hey, you know, settle down, you know, uh, back your hands off, right? Be less aggressive. I don't know if you could really tell him that. Um, you know, when he's got three fouls in the first half. I don't know if you can really tell him that and then have some confidence that he's going to back off, he's going to control himself, and he's going to get out of the first half with the those same three fouls. Um, I think it's much more likely that he tacks on that fourth or even a fifth um, if, if you keep rolling him out there. And so that's, you know, he's a, an interesting, you know, player from that standpoint because, you know, I, I generally do agree that uh, that foul trouble is kind of a construct. Oh, you're going to not play him now when the game can be decided in order to play him later when hopefully the game is still in reach type of thing. So he's got to get those fouls under control. And the last two games have been a lot better. If you look at the last two games, he's had two and three fouls respectively. That's much more in the range of what we want. We want to see that aggressive Jared, but we need him to, to control uh, himself and not be so aggressive picking up some of those ticky-tack fouls that uh, are going to contribute to his playing time being reduced because of the style of basketball he plays with. So Colin Sexton. One of the big questions about Colin was where is he relative to his third season, 2020-2021, uh, where he burst onto the scene and was was you know a, a Donovan Mitchell light and he was putting up incredible stats and you know he had above league average efficiency right uh, where is he relative you know to that uh, uh, to those peaks so he's not there from a volume or role standpoint right obviously he's coming off the bench rumor has it the Jazz kind of see him as a long term off the bench uh, player um, but you know that. That can change, right? That that kind of uh, an opinion can be changed by Colin demonstrating, you know, serious aptitude for a, for a larger role. However, if we look at the rates, right? If we adjust for the possessions and we say, okay, uh, two years ago on a different team, if we say, hey, per seventy five possessions, what were you doing? And we take what Colin is doing now per seventy five possessions, he's not playing seventy five possessions. Right, because he's coming off the bench, he's he's playing more akin to like fifty. But if we put them on the same playing field, right, of seventy-five possessions, and we adjust the true shooting percentage to what the league average was in twenty 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 one, uh, and now, well, what are we looking at? Well, in Cleveland that year, Colin Sexton was at twenty-five and a half points a game, just over three rebounds, 
four and a half assists, plus 0.1% true shooting percentage. The Jazz, here for the Jazz, if you adjust to 75 possessions, 23 points, five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, and plus 3.1% adjusted true shooting percentage. Okay, he's really close to being right back at that level on a per 75 possession basis. That's that's pretty pretty incredible. Okay, we're only seven games in. He's been coming off the bench. A lot of the reason why he's been coming off the bench, they've said, uh, is due to him kind of just acclimating back to uh, the amount of basketball being played after the ACL. But also part of it is, you know, they, they see him as more of a sixth man uh, versus a, a long-term starter. And it remains to be seen if that's still true. Should Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley get moved? Uh, I don't anticipate his role expanding to a starting role um, uh, at the very least until some of those guys get moved. But but seeing that he's at this kind of level with that uh, – with uh, by adjusting those stats to that rate, uh, it's pretty incredible. You know, I'd say he's probably at 90% or so of the player that he was that year. Um, but you can't really tell completely until he is starting to play 75 possessions a game. And he's probably not going to be quite as featured in the offense as he was in Cleveland. Uh, but, uh, you know, all signs are pointing, pointing to him rebounding in a pretty decent way back to that level, and that can only benefit the Jazz and Colin. Okay, let's talk Rudy Gay. Much was made coming into this season and, and kind of ending last season about how unhappy he was last year. Okay, uh, you know, his uh, media day interview was really, really depressing. Um, you know, very, he made a big, big deal about how I am going to be playing this year and, you know, uh, about how disappointed he was with the results of last year and how he, uh, how his role was constantly evolving last year. But it seems like he's, his attitude has really improved. He seems bought in. He seems, you know, really interested in contributing to the Jazz this year. And it's interesting because what he kind of always been complaining about has regressed even further this year. If you look at his usage rate, um, he's at 16.5% this year, down from 19.3 last year. Okay, So he's using fewer possessions. right? He's less involved in the offense. And if you look at, uh, at his minutes per game, 16.8 on average, down from 18.9 last year. He's playing less and he's less involved, but yet it appears he's happier. That's a real feather in the cap to me for Will Hardy and a massive, massive, I guess, criticism of last year's team and how mismanaged everything was. Last year's team was just an absolute train wreck. And I think we're seeing some really great things. And, and that's probably one of the best things that points to, hey, this being a much more positive culture, the cohesion being there, and Will Hardy just being, you know, that connector, that communicator, uh, that motivator. Um, really, really good stuff, honestly. All right, Taylor Horton Tucker, just a rough, rough start to the season for his efficiency. He is 12.5% true shooting below league average 12 and a half percent right he's always been below league average right two years ago he was three and a half percent below last year he was six percent 
below league average. This year to start, 12.5. He's not going to continue at 12.5. He's going to get somewhere back in that 6-3 to range below league average. But still, to be that far below league average, I don't see a ton of reasons to suspect that his game is ever going to translate to league average efficiency. He doesn't score at the rim, and he's going to the rim less you know he does he does draw fouls and gets to the free throw line fortunately but he is not a good three point shooter uh, he does enjoy the mid range shots you know he does like to uh, create for himself off the dribble i don't feel like a, a lot of that and, and and thus far through his career he hasn't shown any propensity for league average efficiency i i'm really concerned about him putting up anywhere close to league average efficiency and I do think you need to be somewhere close to league average, you know, if you uh, if you want to, you know, remain a staple in a rotation when, uh, you know, he isn't, you know, he, he isn't an insane defender. He isn't, you know, contributing uh, in a unique way. His passing or his uh, his you know ability to set up others. So I don't really know on Talon, but the rough start efficiency-wise um, is really bad. But it's also I also don't see it turning around in a in a crazy way, uh, given what he's done to start his career in in LA. Walker Kessler, okay, the guy is creating significant issues for defenses at the rim. You know he hasn't uh, he's been out a little bit with some illness. But if you look at uh, if you look at the team, when uh, how the team performs on defense without Kessler on the field, on the court, the Jazz are allowing 32% of opponents' shots to be at the rim, 32% without Kessler. Interesting. We're not allowing people to get to the rim uh, without Kessler. Okay, with Kessler on the on the um, on the court, uh, they're getting 38%. So oddly enough, when Kessler's on the court, teams are getting a few more shots at the rim. Okay, And part of that could be that, oh, hey, they see him as a rookie rim defender, easy pick-ins, you know, let's go after this guy. But if you look at the success rate at the rim, we're allowing 64% field goal percent without Kessler at the rim, 64%, but with Kessler, 52%. Okay, so Kessler is reducing the opponent's success rate at the rim 12%, or by 12%, it's going from 64 to 52% with Kessler on the court. Okay, significant issues uh, for the opposing team scoring at the rim with Kessler. That's great, that's what you wanna see from your rim protector. He's got good block rate numbers, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see more and more how he develops. You know, he's not always in the right spot. Uh, you know, he's not uh, he's not always putting himself in a position to capitalize on what the rest of the team is doing. Uh, but there's a lot of really really good signs early, and the fact that he's a staple, the staple backup center, and, and doing all these great things in spite of you know him being young, inexperienced, etc., is really really exciting.
All right. Well, so, thanks so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this this podcast, this edition of the Jabber Jazz Podcast. If you like what we're doing, uh, please consider supporting us, subscribing to the podcast, following us on Twitter, uh, liking and following us on YouTube, uh, leaving us a review or a comment, uh, scoring some Jabber Jazz merch. Any of that would go a long way to making sure that we are continuing to put out podcast episodes and videos uh, for you to consume about the Utah Jazz. Well, that's all for now. Uh, Keep jabbering jazz. And for now, we're going to leave you with some sounds of jazz.